want to um, kind of present this idea that there is always hope. And I, I get to say that a lot when I go into a public school. I, I tell students, middle school and high school students all the time, that there is always hope. Don't make a permanent decision on a temporary problem because there is always hope. But what I can't tell them is what I'm going to tell you this morning is that hope has a name. And his name is Jesus. That there is always hope. That no matter what we're facing, tomorrow can be different. Because there is always hope. And hope has a name. His name is Jesus. But here's the problem with hope is that sometimes it's hard for us to see hope when today is right in front of us, isn't it? But we have this promise, and we're going to kind of root this promise in Hebrews chapter 19. We have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. And the words of Jesus echo this hope, that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. This, this, that, that there is another piece here that, that is working against our souls. But I, speaking of Jesus, this is the words of Jesus, I have come that they, meaning us, may have life and have it to the full. You have a God who speaks life into your circumstances, who sees you, and a God who loves you deeply, because there is always hope. But it's hard when today is right in front of us to see hope, right? Those of us who are parents, we know that. Your kids have stressed you out at times, right? Uh, I have three kids. I have um, a 13-year-old, a middle schooler, and I've worked with you know, middle schoolers for many years, uh, but now I have one living in my home. That's different, <laughs> right? Anyone, a parent of a middle schooler? Like, yeah, I see you, all right? <laughs> I see you. No, it's great. I love middle schoolers. Middle schoolers, I'm just messing with you. You're great. Um, and I have a 10-year-old girl, and then I have a uh, 7-year-old girl named Kinsley. And, you know, if you're a parent, you know all your kids have different personalities, right? They have their different quirks. Well, my youngest, Kinsley, she's my wanderer. And I can't tell you how many times in her life that I've asked this question, where's Kinsley? Like, where is she? And if you're at a theme park, that's really scary. But the worst, the worst was actually in our own home. She was three at the time, and I'm working at my home office, and I hear my wife say, where's Kinsley? And then it was followed by another statement. And who left the garage door open? Oh, yeah. And so I stand up, and of course, you know, I'm trying not to freak out at first, so I walk around the house, and Kinsley, Kinsley, I'm sure she's in here just playing with Play-Doh, right? And Kinsley, Kinsley, and I check out every room. She's not in there. Maybe she's hiding in a closet. I check a few closets. She's not there either. She is nowhere in the home. So I walk outside. My wife is already outside looking in the garage. She can't find her. We walk into the driveway. We don't see her in the front yard. So we walk on the side of the, the yard. At this point, my voice is elevating. Kinsley! Kinsley! I go to the other side of the house. She's not there either. The neighbor, he's like, hey, did you lose a dog? I go, no, I lost a person. <laughs> Chris, help me. And so he starts a search. We have a full-on search party at this point. Another neighbor joins. He's looking around his house. Where is this toddler? Minutes are going by. And if you're not a parent, you're like, it's just a few minutes. But if you're a parent, you know, minutes, this is forever. This is a big deal. At this point, I'm like, maybe she just had this irrational thought. She just walked out the door and sprinted down the road. Her tiny little legs, I imagine, are just still running somewhere. And so I get in the car, and I roll down the windows, and I start driving, and I'm screaming, Kinsley, Kinsley, where could she be? And listen, I live in Florida. I live on the other coast. So, you know, your mind goes to worst-case scenario, right? 
I mean, everything wants to eat you in Florida. We have a preserve behind our house. I'm like, you know, maybe she went to the preserve. I mean, well, she's definitely been eaten by a rabid squirrel or something because even the squirrels are sketch in Florida, right? It's just sketchy. It's dangerous. And so I'm, in all seriousness, though, I am, I'm at a place of, of deep concern. I'm now at the front of my neighborhood. We're probably six to eight minutes in. And I'm pleading, God, help me to find this little girl. I have no idea where she is. I call my wife, hoping that she had found her. I went to voicemail because she had already called 911. We have no idea where our three-year-old is. Now, it's hard to have hope in these moments, isn't it? When you are in a full-on panic and you have no idea what the next minute's going to hold, it's hard. Now, the end of this story is, a few minutes later, I get a call back from my wife. She says, we found her. <sighs> what a relief. And the story is, is that this three-year-old little girl walked into our garage, hid behind a pile of things, and stayed silent the entire time. I lost years on my life that day. <laughs> she thought we were playing hide-and-seek. Oh, no. <laughs> and if you're a parent, you probably have a toddler story just like that or something similar. And it's hard. Like, and and that, that's a good story because at the end of it, it was, it was good. And there was, there was a happy ending to that story. But the reality is, is not all of our stories are filled that way. In fact, I have my own stories that don't end so happily. That in the midst of having hope and this idea of hope and this belief that there is always hope, it can be really hard to feel hope when today is right in front of us, when we're filled with the question marks of today, we're filled with the, the doubts of today. Like, what? what if I get sick again? What if he gets sick again? What if, what if I lose another client? Am I really good enough for that promotion? Maybe you've been faced with the question of concern and the doubt of what if the cancer comes back? I know so many of my friends who are carrying that weight today. Maybe the question of what if I can't pay the bills? Like what if I don't have enough to, to keep the electric on or, or pay the mortgage? Why are relationships so difficult for me? Will I always feel alone? And, and there's so many questions because today can be so difficult, and today can be right in front of us, and it's hard to have hope when today is right in front of us. And the reality is, is that we've been through so much, and it shows. Our culture is filled with occupational burnout, and divorce rates are rising, mental health challenges are rising, and at worst, we have those that are facing deep despair, a place of hopelessness. It's easy to doubt hope with today's question marks. And even for some of us, these question marks and the weight of today get so heavy that we face what one theologian called the dark night of the soul. And here's what I know about you, and I know it's true about me, is that no matter who we are, whether we face mental health challenges, maybe you've had um, experience with depression or, or anxiety or not, every single one of us have faced a level of despair. Whether it was 
for a few minutes, like my Kinsley story, or maybe a few days or hours, maybe weeks, or maybe even a season. We've all experienced the dark night of the soul, haven't we? We've all experienced this heavy season that's just difficult, and it's hard to have hope in the midst of the dark night of the soul. But I want to give you the good news today, is that even in the midst of the dark night of the soul, there's still hope. There is always hope, because hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And we... We don't have a God who's far off and distant. We have a God who is close and a God who sees us. In fact, one of the first descriptors of God that we get is in Genesis chapter 16. And throughout the the canon of of scripture, we kind of get these names that kind of describe the character of who God is. And Hagar, someone who felt very much distant and unseen by the people around her and mistreated, she has this engagement in this moment with God. And in faith, she echoes that you are the God who sees me, El Roy in Hebrew, the God who sees. And you have a God who sees you, a God who is present with you even in the midst of the dark night of the soul. He's not far off and distant. Why can we have hope? Because even today, even when the question marks of today are right in front of us, we can rest assured that there is a presence of God that is also with us today, that there is hope for today, because you have a God who sees you. Jesus models this all throughout the New Testament, and I specifically want to kind of focus on a passage of scripture today in John chapter 11. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to John chapter 11. If you don't have your Bibles, uh, some of the verses will be on the screen, but I'm also going to read out loud many of the verses. Um, the, The heart of Jesus models this idea of a God who sees me all throughout the New Testament, specifically the Gospels. But in this passage specifically, I want to examine what Jesus does before the miracle. So if you're familiar with Bible study, you know that this this chapter is all about kind of Lazarus being raised from the dead. So Lazarus, one of Jesus' early disciples, he gets sick. And the end of the story, okay, here I'm going to ruin the story for you, uh, is that Lazarus gets raised from the dead. Jesus speaks to Lazarus and he comes out of the tomb. And sometimes when we read the Bible, we can focus so much on the miracle. And there's, there's a lot of deep meaning to this. The purpose of this story and, and what the, 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 the author of this, this gospel was trying to illustrate was the foreshadowing event that Jesus holds the power of resurrection life. That is the core meaning of this event that took place, that Lazarus died but was raised again because it's a foreshadowing of the coming resurrection of Christ. However, there is some amazing insight and meaning that we can take when we examine what Jesus did before the miracle. And I want to propose this morning that as we read this, that you read it examining the behavior of Jesus before the miracle, because even in that it is beautiful. You will see that Jesus models a God who sees you. He is present with you, even when today is right in front of you. Are you ready? Let's, let's take a look. All right. Verse 17. We're going to jump in verse 17. Now, the backstory of this is Lazarus has already died. Jesus was away, and he shows up four days late. All right. So on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, Bethany, 
the location where this is taking place, was less than two miles away from Jerusalem. And many of the Jews had come to Mary and Martha to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. So let's pause here for a moment. Jesus shows up, and he's not necessarily what they would consider on time. Jesus is late. By the way, this is a characteristic that you tend to see throughout the Gospels, that Jesus is often late according to the standards of what we would say late is. So if you need a theological reason to be late for work, just say I'm trying to be more like Jesus. Um, I'm kidding. (laughs) You guys got really excited about that. You're like, finally, someone sees me. Um, No, no. Obviously, Jesus wasn't late, but sometimes we can perceive this as as he wasn't on time. And that is for sure the perspective that you're going to see from Mary and Martha, that Jesus was late. He didn't show up on time. Now, I also want you to just note that there's two sisters here, Martha and Mary. They're both grieving. They're, They're experiencing the hardship of today. Today is right in front of them. And they're expressing and feeling all sorts of emotions. And when Jesus shows up, there's only one that runs out. So keep that in mind. We'll come back to that. Martha says, Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. So Martha walks up to Jesus, and she says, listen, Jesus, if you would have been here, if you weren't four days late, I know Lazarus would have lived because I've seen you heal sick people. I've seen you heal blind people. I've seen you heal people in amazing and miraculous ways. These are Jesus's early disciples, not one of the 12, but some of the early followers of Jesus. They, They saw things. They had faith. Martha does not have a lack of faith here. She has faith. She believes that Jesus holds the power of healing. But, It kind of stops there. Now watch how Jesus responds. He replies to her, your brother will rise again. And she replies, I know he'll rise again at the resurrection of the last day. So there's this interchange back and forth. Jesus shows up. Martha says, if you would have been here yesterday, Lazarus would still be alive, or rather four days ago. And he says, your brother will rise again. He speaks life. He brings hope right in the midst of her circumstance. But she can't see it. She assumes nothing would change. The Son of God, face to face with her, God in a bod, Jesus, right in front of her, and she assumes that today is so big and so hopeless, nothing will change. I want you to see something. Jesus isn't just your hope for yesterday, that your sins are forgiven. And he's not just your hope for tomorrow, that heaven is your reward. He's your hope for today, right now, here. Well, how? How can he be hope? When today is right in front of me, Will, if you knew what I was facing, how can I know that there's hope today? Because God sees you. You have a God who sees you. And Jesus shows up in the midst of Mary and Martha's grief, and he sees them. He sits with them. He responds and lets them know that there's hope 
not just for tomorrow. There's hope for today. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. Whoever lives believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is coming to the world. So again, you see this confession of faith. It's not that Mary had a lack of faith. In, in church, I, I, I want to pause, because sometimes when we're in the midst of the dark night of the soul, when we're in the midst of a circumstance where it's hard to have hope, we can kind of beat ourselves up a little bit and say, well, I just need to have more faith. Mary didn't have a lack of faith. And notice Jesus didn't beat her up. He sat with her. He paused. You know, it's often said that, and I don't want to oversimplify this, but that, that depression can be like an obsession with the past, where we ruminate over the past things. And anxiety is like an obsession with the future, where we worry and concern ourselves with the future. And when our brain is spanning between these two things, what is it that we miss? Today. The present. And when we are experiencing the dark night of the soul, Sometimes our brain is rushing to the past. And, and in that, we say, well, well, Jesus, there's hope there because you forgive my sins of the past. Or our anxiety takes us to the future and, and we hold on to, well, we have this future hope of glory in Jesus. And so I know there's hope for tomorrow, but we miss today, don't we? And what I want you to see is you have a God who sees you today. And he says, it's okay, I'm present with you in the present moment, right here, right now. There's not just hope for yesterday or hope for tomorrow. There's hope today. You have hope today because you have a God who sees you. And Martha is here. And she doesn't have a lack of faith, but she is hurting. She's having a hard time to see hope today. After she said this, she went back and called her sister Mary. Notice, remember, Mary stayed in the house. The teacher is here, she said, and he's asking for you. I want to pause for a minute. I don't necessarily know what Mary was experiencing, but I do know that Mary was experiencing a deep amount of grief. And emotions that are common with grief is we feel maybe deep sadness and disappointment, right? We're, we're, we're hurting when we experience the loss, especially of a loved one. But also what's also common when we experience grief is maybe guilt, feeling like I wish I could have done something different or I wish I would have done something more. But also anger, maybe anger with self or anger with someone else or anger at the circumstance and sometimes even anger with God because God didn't do what I thought God should have done or God did what I thought God shouldn't have done. And, and here Mary is sitting in home and is it possible that when she first heard that Jesus was here, maybe she just didn't want to go and see Jesus? Maybe she was mad at God. Maybe some of you, you're here today, and you're a little mad with God, but you've not really acknowledged it because you're afraid to. You're afraid to acknowledge that you're mad and angry that God didn't do what you believe God should do. But I want you to know we have a God who's big enough to deal with your anger. He's okay with your disappointment. He created you. Mary feels these emotions probably, again, I don't know exactly what she was experiencing, but I do know that she was a human. 
And I know what it's like to be human, and so do you. And all of those emotions are how God created you. And sometimes as faith believers, we think emotions need to just be kind of ignored because emotions are in opposite direction of our faith. But I want you to see that Jesus doesn't rush to dismiss their emotions. He acknowledges and he sits with their emotions. It's okay to grieve. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be disappointed. But also know that hope will move you in a direction. And it was simply the invitation of Jesus that moved the heart of Mary. He's asking for you. He's asking for you. He's asking for you. And what does Mary do? When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at a place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house, comforting her, noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to mourn there. Now, in this culture, the ancient Jewish culture, there were kind of these professional mourners that would come and mourn with those who were mourning. And so when this took place, that she kind of quickly got up and ran out, they followed her. So there's a lot of weeping and crying and mourning that's happening here. And what I think is beautiful about this ancient Jewish culture is they, they knew how to emotionally exhale very well. Now, again, like I said, sometimes as faith believers, we, we tend to just think that emotions need to be stuffed down and ignored because they go in opposite directions of our faith. Well, if I feel emotion, or if I feel anger or disappointment or sadness, then I'm not having faith in Jesus. And Mary and Martha, again, they're grieving, but it's not because of their lack of faith. The problem with sometimes in our culture, in America, ignoring our emotions, is that emotions come out eventually. It's like we take a big, deep breath of air, and we don't exhale it out. Now, if we all did that, eventually what would happen? We'd either go, all out at once, or we'd pass out, right? Emotionally, the same thing happens. When we don't allow ourselves to emotionally exhale, especially within the context of the safety of the presence of God, then it comes out eventually, maybe in a fit of rage or an emotional breakdown, or it comes out where we just become emotionally numb, disconnected from how we really feel. And the beauty and the brilliance of this story is you see these people who are very much facing the question marks of today. They're experiencing the dark night of the soul. And Jesus gives them space and time to just be present with him. You can have hope for today because you have a God who sees you. Even in the midst of your dark night of the soul, he doesn't rush to the miracle. He doesn't rush to say, hey, stop it. Stop the crying. Just have faith. I'm about to do some amazing things. Don't you believe that I can do this? Like, calm down. He doesn't do that. Instead, it's beautiful what Jesus does. He sees them. When Mary reached the place, verse 32, when Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. She speaks the same thing. She has faith in Jesus and his ability. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews that also had come along with her weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled where have you laid him? He asked. Now, I imagine Jesus almost said this with a crack in his voice. You know, where have you laid him? Tears welling up in his eyes. He sees their hurt. He sees their pain. And he doesn't chastise them. Instead, 
His heart is moved. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Verse 35, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept. This is actually one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And you say, that's weird. Um, one, it's very easy to memorize. <laughs> very easy. But two, the reason why it's my favorite is because it shows just how much God truly loves us. Jesus doesn't rush to the miracle. He sees their hurting. He sees their pain. And he weeps with those who weep. It's not the same weeping, by the way. This Greek word for Jesus wept is the only time it's used in the New Testament is specifically to, to Jesus here. And it means to shed tears. So Jesus shed tears. The other weeping is a little bit more um, involved. And it's not that Jesus is, is weeping or crying without hope. He is the embodiment of hope. And what I think is beautiful is, and the, the writer of John is trying to help us to understand, is that Jesus is shedding tears with those who are shedding tears. That he sees you. You have a God who sees you. He sheds tears with you. When you're walking through the dark night of the soul, he sits with you and he is present with you. How can you have hope for today when there's so many question marks of tomorrow? Because he's not just your, your hope for yesterday or your hope for tomorrow. He's also your hope today. You have a God who sees you. And he weeps and sheds tears with you. You're not alone. You're not forgotten. He loves you. And it's okay to not be okay. It's okay to be heartbroken. It doesn't mean that somehow you have a lack of faith. Jesus sees you. He's not far off and distant. He's close. He's close. Now we get to the big miracle story. Part of the story. Then the Jews said to him, see how he loved him. So they, kind of, they kind of misread the situation. Because I think actually Jesus is shedding tears here because of empathy. He's feeling what others are feeling and he just pauses to cry and weep with those who are weeping. To let them know it's okay. And by doing so, he's allowing them to feel seen. To feel like he gets me. He understands what I'm going through. Your God gets you. He understands what you're going through. He feels what you feel. Then some of them said, well, could he not, could he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? In other words, I mean, we saw him heal people. He could have shown up. I mean, he's just four days late. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take the stone away, he said. Do you see the foreshadowing event, by the way? But Lord, Martha said, sister of the dead man. By this time, there's a bad odor for he'd been there for four days. Again, it's not that there was a lack of faith, but Martha had a hard time seeing that there was hope for today. But when Jesus is in it, there's always hope for today. There's always hope. He's here. There's hope for today in this moment. Jesus said, did I not tell you if you believe you will see the glory of God? Just, he's like, just wait, just wait. It's happening. So they took the stone away. Jesus looked up and he said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of those who are standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. So Jesus prays this short prayer, and then when he had said this, Jesus called out in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out, and the dead man came out with his feet wrapped with strips of linen and cloth around his face, because when the Son of God speaks life, 
dead men rise. There is always hope. And by the way, I do want to note, the purpose of this is the foreshadowing event that Jesus holds resurrection life. Lazarus died later on, by the way. So the purpose of this is so that they would know that Jesus holds resurrection life. So there's, there's yes, that is true. But Lazarus lives, and then eventually he dies. But he doesn't fully because there is power in Jesus' name. Heaven is our future reward. And yes, tomorrow can be forgiven because he is our hope that yesterday can be redeemed. But he is also your hope for today because you have a God who sees you right here and now. He sees you. He weeps with you. He's not just your hope for tomorrow. Not just your hope for yesterday. He's your hope for today. You have a God who sees you. He's personal, and he loves you. In Christ, you are made whole. In Christ, you are never alone. In Christ, you are alive. In Christ, you are healed. In Christ, you are loved. And in Christ, you can have hope because you have a God who sees you. You know, Kinsley, losing Kinsley um, wasn't the first time that I wondered if I was going to lose Kinsley. When she was one and a half, um, she actually got really sick. And she uh, got pneumonia. And uh, it was a viral pneumonia. And so for three days, she was in the hospital. And after a few days at home, the medicines kind of counter-reacted. And the pneumonia was able to come back in her, her lungs, this time a bacterial pneumonia, and worse than the first. And at 4 a.m., we admitted our daughter, our one-year-old and a one-and-a-half-year-old, to the ICU, and the doctors give us this prognosis that there's a chance that the treatment won't work and we'll have to incubate her. And I remember in this moment, as today is right in front of me, and the fear of losing my daughter was so real. I was in such deep despair. The dark night of the soul. What will tomorrow hold? I have no idea. And as I sat there and I attempted to pray, I couldn't even get the words out other than Jesus. 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 Was my despair a lack of faith? No. I know who holds healing power. I know who my hope is in. But I also know in that moment, there was a presence that was unexplainable that Jesus is close to those who are brokenhearted. And when you experience the dark night of the soul, there's hope for today. No matter what the question marks are, there's hope for today. There is always hope, because you have a God who sees you. And I know that, as you know, the rest of the story for Kinsley, she got out of the hospital after about a week, and she's on a better health journey. But for so many of us, maybe that hasn't been your story. You, you've experienced loss and grief, and it's hard for you to feel hope today because yesterday was so difficult. Or it's hard to feel hope for today because tomorrow is so burdensome. But I hope that in the midst of this struggle, that more and more you can focus that today, right here, right now, there's hope. 
because you have a God who sees you today. And you might be here and you say, well, I, I, I get that, that for those of you who read the Bible or maybe you go to church a lot, that God sees you, but you don't know my story. I've, I've taken so many steps in the wrong direction. And I want you to know that you can take a thousand steps away from Jesus, but it only takes one step back to him because he's never left you. He sees you. He sees you too. <laughs> you have a God who sees you even in the midst of your walking away. It only takes one step back to him. So if you're going through a dark night of the soul, I want to encourage you today to pray. We're going to have a prayer team. Andrew will talk about that here in a moment. But if you've taken steps away from him, I want to encourage you to take a step towards him today too because there is always hope. And his name is Jesus. And he sees you today. Would you pray with me all across this room? God, I thank you so much that you love us and that you see us. I pray that you would help us today to feel hope not just to know hope, but God, to feel hope. That you are a God that's not far off and distant, but God, that you are here close with us today. I pray the warmth of your presence would encourage us. God, for those who are facing mental health challenges today, I pray that there would be a breath of hope into us today, that we would remember that we're not always gonna feel this way, that there is hope that tomorrow can be different, and there's hope that, that no matter what life throws at us, God, you see us and that you determine the end of the story. It's in your hands, so we can trust you. God, I pray for every single person here who has someone in their life who's struggling. God, help us to show up like you showed up, to simply be present, to see in a deeper level. And God, for those of us who have taken steps away from you, or maybe we need to take a step towards you, give us the courage to do that today. And I pray this all in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen.